I hereby introduce to you Mr. Michael Vesey. So, Anthony, um, we've talked about the worst case scenario. Um, I guess that doesn't turn up very often. Um, but what are the most common mistakes, would you say, regarding private label sellers? And what's the easiest way to overcome those? Um, let me think. Uh, the, mo the most common is they, they don't take all the steps to kind of protect their own rights before they search, before they begin. And what I mean by that is if they don't formally register their, their, their trademark in time, I mean, in the U.S., which is different from the U.K. and everywhere else, is trademark rights are based on first use, not first to file. But it's, you never want to be – you never want to have to try to fight for your trademark later and have to prove that, yeah, they filed it first, but I was using it first. You don't want to be caught up in that fight. Even though you can save, you can you can save yourself. It's just not a fight that you want to do. So I'd say number one is a lot of people wait too long to register their trademark, and then, like I said earlier, the biggest thing patent-wise is people start already offering their if it's their own invention if they're already um, putting it out into the public without without protecting it um, in terms of private. Label if it's already if the if the invention was already out there and it's it hasn't been protected Technically if it's already it's they no one else should be able to protect that because if it's already in the public domain They shouldn't be able to get protection for it So I wouldn't say that it's a it's a mistake there if you did if you don't register someone else's but I think it's People have to, have to try to know the answer to that before they start selling the product in terms of if there is no patent, you know, have people already been selling this product out there and basically it will help if you know before you get started that there's no one that owns owns the right to it so that you don't have to scramble later when you get a false complaint from somebody that says they own that patent. I guess basically you need you just need to know what to expect before it comes so you know when to deal with because what we see a lot on Amazon is Invalid complaints competitors putting putting complaints through to you that just aren't based don't have a valid basis But if you haven't done your research beforehand, you may get you may get a complaint later and Kind of have to scramble to determine the validity of it if you've done your research beforehand you're It just doing a little bit of work in the beginning just pays dividends as you come down the line and you get future complaints whether valid or invalid Okay, so uh, let's talk about that then. Let's say you do get a complaint. So we talked about the worst case scenario. That's probably, you know, a little bit over the top for most people, but it's good to know what it is and how to protect against it. Let's say somebody sends me a cease and desist letter for a product I've been selling for a couple of years. I did some decent research. Maybe I even got a preliminary search done by a lawyer for the patent side of things. Um, what should my first step be? Should I just stop or should I contact a lawyer or what? Um, I mean, especially if you've done some some beforehand, you did your due diligence. You believe you have a you know a good faith right to to sell this product. I would definitely have contact counsel to at least try to review and confirm and respond formally. Because with patent infringement, especially if it's a utility patent, the burden's on the person claiming it, and every claim in the patent 
each patent has a list of claims. Every single one has to be has to be hit for it to be infringement. If there's you know one difference that it doesn't that all the claims aren't satisfied, it just doesn't apply and there's no infringement. I mean, there's other defenses, but that's the most common defense. And I think that if you get a complaint, step one is I think you should have someone just get, give a quick analysis as to you know do we have a good argument here to reply to them and say actually we don't believe there's infringement because here's how our product doesn't hit the claims in the patent that you're alleging we're infringing against. Interesting. Okay. Now, um, let's talk about, um, let's, well, let's talk first about that scenario. Now, uh, this is a bit of a tricky one. I'm not sure whether you'll be able to answer to this, but obviously this podcast is by a British person and to some extent geared to British people. They have a lot of American listeners. Um, if you're selling in the US, as I do, and you have a situation where somebody approaches your company and, and says, well, via Amazon and says that you're infringing on the um, intellectual property of some kind, say a patent, then uh, what's the next step for me? Would I have to contact an American lawyer? Um, since the sales are happening in the US and it's the Amazon US um, store, US law is going to apply. So you need an attorney that that's uh, qualified to to interpret U.S. law. So I'd say you pr you should, if you're going to retain counsel, it should be one that's you know admitted to practice in in the in the U.S. Okay, well, so we're speaking to the right people then. <laughs> so <laughs> I just it sounds like an obvious point, but just I mean the law is such a closed book to most of us. I just thought I'd just double check that. Um, right, so let's move on to the area of um, protecting your own intellectual property. So you mentioned something which I think is very interesting, and it certainly was true for me at the beginning, that I didn't protect my own intellectual property early enough. Um, so let's assume again that we're private labeling, so we don't have a patent, we don't have a utility patent. Um, the first question is around design, uh, is a box design, for example, is that purely a trademark thing, or is there a patent side of it as well? A box design? like um. Do you mean like a like a product as a box, or you mean like packaging? I mean packaging for the product, um, but I mean I mean the the inner packaging, so that when you get it out of its Amazon sort of brown uh, sort of outer packaging, you'd uh, have the product there in the box, which is you know you might give as a gift or, or use yourself. Trait like so like the the packaging or appearance of like a the product's packaging is called it would still be trademark specifically. It's called um trade dress. Um, it's similar to what we were speaking about design patent and that covers the appearance of the actual object or invention trade dress is a type of trademark in that trademarks are used to identify the source or the quality of goods if you have specific packaging that's trade dress like so if uh, what would be an example of trade dress like uh, a good example would be like McDonald's colors are Colors can't often be trademarked unless they have secondary meaning. This that's an example where the the McDonald's red and red and yellow has kind of been associated with that brand. So example of trade dress would be like you know something in McDonald's packaging. Um, but generally that trade dress is part of part of trademark law. What makes it different is it usually has to have secondary meaning. So it's one where you can't register a trademark trade dress application until you've already been using the product. It has to acquire secondary meaning for you because 
it's not known to identify the the source of the goods or the services until you're actually using it to do that. So it's a weird wrinkle there, but the pack I guess the short question, the short answer is that the the product packaging or appearance in that way it falls under trademark law and not patent law. But that's a very interesting point you've you've just made if I understand correctly that um we basically the packaging has to be used for some period before you can apply for a trademark on it. Is that correct? Correct. Trade dress applicant trade dress you gain like in the u.s i said you gain trademark rights on first use um for trade dress you can't register exactly you can't register it before you use it because it has to the wrinkle in the law there is that actually has to develop secondary meaning before you use it um another example would be like the the Reese's orange, you know, on packaging, they couldn't just fi have filed it before they used it. After a certain amount of time, everyone became to identify, you know, that color scheme or that packaging as being Reese's product. Then they were able to apply, you know, if they were going to protect that as trade dress. Okay, so let me just feedback, just make sure I've understood here. So I could, for example, just start trading as um, Mike'sWidgets.com. And if that is if Mike's widgets is something that nobody else has used, as soon as I use it on Amazon or anywhere else, that means I'm the first to use. So I have the rights to that intellectual property. Is that right? First of all, yes, that part is right. Correct. Okay, and but if I want, if I've got a nice packaging design which has got my particular colours on it and a picture of my face smiling away next to some wonderful widgets, um, that I can't protect that until it's in use. Um, but on the other hand, because I'm the first to use it, I guess I kind of own the intellectual property of that as well. Is that right? Correct. Like you can, you gain like the rights to it based on first use. The difference is the name, you know, MikeSwidges.com, that you can register just as a trademark before before you use it. If you were going to try to protect the packaging with the, the image or any particular color schemes, you gain the rights based when you first use it, but you can't register it until you've used it and developed that secondary meaning. Great. Well, that's really nice and clear. Thank you. That that's a, that's certainly something I had no idea about. That so that's very very clear. Now the obvious question for me, uh, and forgive me if I'm asking the dumb question, but that, that's kind of my job on this show. I think increasingly, if if I get the rights to the intellectual property by first use, then why do I need to bother to register it at all? Um, because then you don't, ha what's great about having the, inter the USPTO registration is it's prima facie proof that you own a valid trademark eventually. So you don't have to, if you have rights based on first use and you don't have the registration, you still have the burden to go prove it. If someone shows up and starts using your mark, you kind of have to go to bat to prove and defend, you know, that you've had prior use of it. Whereas let's say you, you, you know, you have the registration, you can just submit it to Amazon or any other entity. It's um, formal government recognized registration. It th takes that burden of proof off of you and it kind of serves as that, as that proof instead. Which okay. just interesting. So if, for example, somebody, if, if somebody approached me, uh, no, if I wanted to approach somebody else and I have my wonderful widgets and I have my blue pen, which I've got the in, the, prop, the private label rights to use and I have my logo on it and then I have some packaging, which is Mike's widgets and so forth. If somebody else starts using Mike's widgets as a trademark name and I've registered it, then all I need to do is contact them. And then if they dispute it, I point to my USPTO um, 
trademark uh, registration and I say, that's it, you need to take it down and that's a done. Is that is it as simple as that, basically? I mean, it's as simple as that in terms of it's easier to give them proof of it. If they wanted to oppose your registration, one, they should have done it. When you do the application, there's a part where the trademark office publishes it to the public. So it says, we're going to register this application if you have opposition to it. You know, kind of speak up now, file formal papers. So if, if you have a formal registration, it, the burdens proof is easier in terms of showing them. And then if they had to oppose it, they'd have to go try to fight your actual registration. And let's say they just don't listen to you. They continue doing it. If you wanted to formally complain against them on Amazon or another platform online, all you have to do is give that documentation to the website. And most of the time, to protect themselves, other websites aren't going to act unless you have that registration. So like if you tried to appeal to Amazon and said, no, but I have the rights based on first use. Look, here's me using it you know, in 2012. Here's them starting to use it in 2014. It may work, but it's much easier to just be, look, here's the registration. It just makes your burden of proof easier to satisfy going forward in terms of trying to police your brand. Okay, makes sense. So basically, we want to register reasonably soon. Um, is it an expensive process? I mean, how much is it going to cost me to register the trademark, uh, the name Mike's Marvelous Widgets or something? The actual filing, well, where it could get expensive is that you have to register your uh, mark for each class of goods that you want to protect. So if you're going to sell, you know, cell phone products or computers or services like food services basically whatever range of goods each file each class of goods or services has its own filing fee they vary slightly but it's approximately 250 dollars per class so where it varies is just how many how many classes of goods you think you need to register for okay but assuming they're going to create a brand and therefore a trademark around uh, as in a brand name, really, and a brand identity around a, a particular unified set of products. Then, if I sell pens and stationery and things like that, Mike's marvelous widgets um, would only cost me two hundred and fifty dollars. Then, from what you're saying, to register yeah, as a trademark. If you, exactly. If you start, if you wanted to start with one class of goods, that would just be the filing fee. Um, in terms of whether you had to go forward and do. Usually you would have to go forward and do new applications if you wanted to add products unless um, gray area kind of comes in as if let's say you were selling cell phones and then you were selling cell phone accessories. You could kind of argue that it's in the natural zone of expansion from your initial thought registration. It's always better to, to get the new registration so it's protected. But generally in terms of expanding, they kind of look to whether they're – goods or services you would expect if you sold one you'd sell the other or expand into the other eventually so you can get more protection by use but even if you're going to just start and register one class I, I it does potentially offer you broader protection if you expand other products yeah i have to say 250 dollars sounds quite cheap for me to protect um the the value in in any kind of significant products really if you're getting any kind of significant sales that's going to be small i mean whereas a thousand dollars up front for a preliminary search for something that hasn't got any commercial value to you yet is is a bit of a bigger thing to swallow but as you say it depends on your assessment of the situation really so um we're gonna to have to wrap things up a bit because i know you've got to get back to the office and go and sort of do 
scarily clever lawyer things. Um, I just wanted to ask a, a couple of questions, really, that um, about the future, really. What is what trends you see coming down the pipe in the next year or two regarding patents and trademarks in the US in general, um, if anything? Um, I just think generally it's going to become more prevalent. People are going to become more used to kind of dealing with patents and trademarks and speaking the lingo because although third-party reselling isn't done on Amazon, it's a slow trend to, I mean, private label is the future and people are going to need to know more about it as and they're going to need to be savvy in order to continue with the trend. So I just think that it'll be you know much important, more important and we'll see at least an increase in trademark registrations and hopefully I'd say on both sides, we're going to see more. We're going to see more registrations and more complaints, just because as everyone's going to keep trying to private label, especially with patents, it's going to be on whether or not a whether or not people have done the research, and if even if they've done the research, we're going to have so many people trying to sell similar products that I think it's just going to the increase in claims is just going to be a natural byproduct of that. Yeah, that makes total sense. Well, I was going to ask you what specific things you think is coming for Amazon, but I think you've answered the question, William. It's going to be more people trying to make claims and create problems. And I have to say that from my personal experience of, uh, I haven't had claims against me, but uh, working with a couple of clients a while ago um, who had some intellectual property claims against them, Amazon is very, very quick to shoot first and ask questions later. As with all things, Amazon, unfortunately, so anything you can do to make that process of getting your products reinstated as quick and easy as possible, trust me, is is really worth it because I've had clients who've had their products, uh, normally their best selling products, because otherwise they wouldn't have been attacked by the competition. They've had their products taken down for two months. So I have to say that anything that speed that up is very worthwhile. Correct. Is there anything else that you would say as general advice for somebody who's just starting out regarding this, this intellectual properties um, sort of whole area, which everyone kind of gets a bit scared of. What's the simplest thing that somebody could do? What's the one or two simple things that people can do, which are quick and fairly cheap and which give them the maximum protection? Um, I think the quickest things, biggest things you can do, you self-educate, you know, you can, you can find so many, even just the USPTO site, you can find a lot of resources to bring yourself up to par and just kind of at least build yourself a background base because you should at least know you're going to be dealing with these issues. You should one, have a general background of it yourself so you know what you're dealing with. And to me, even more important is when you self-educate, you can know kind of the base, but it's also okay to know kind of enough to just spot issues, to spot as, oh, this is a big issue. I really, this is one that the other things, if I could deal with myself, this is something that I need to go contact someone and consult with. Um, Further in that, I think in terms of the biggest thing you can do besides self-educate is I think you can do that clearance search for your own private label brand and at least make sure that no one else has it so that you can start to take the steps to protect it. So I think you would start with, you know, self, self-educating yourself. And if you're going to try to protect something yourself specifically, it's a little bit simpler to try to look at trademark law yourself and at least trying to at least identify you know, whether or not you should go forward and protect a particular brand name that you're looking at. 
Great. That sounds like nice, straightforward advice for, for people to get started with. So, um, Anthony, many, many thanks for your help today. Talking of self-educating, if you want to hear more or if you want to read more rather from Anthony uh, from this show, then it's at Anthony, F-A-N-T-H-O-N-Y, F of Freddie at the blog. So amazingfba.com slash Anthony F. And we'll put uh, notes and resources there to help you in detail. So, Anthony, it just remains for me to say a very big thank you for guiding us through the treacherous waters of intellectual property on Amazon. And uh, thank you very much for sharing some very, very helpful and very practical tips for us. Of course, Michael, it was a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for coming on. Take care. <laughs> cool, let me just stop the podcast.